see. I look forward to that day. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. This morning, I wonder if you are glad that you have that privilege. I'm thankful and I'm grateful for that privilege to be in God's house this morning. I'm thankful for God's written word. I'm thankful for the privilege to worship with believers. Tremendous blessing that we have. I wonder if you've, some of you have probably been in strange places or where you felt like a stranger. Maybe you've gone to another country. You didn't really know the culture and you just felt a little out of place. Or maybe even locally, you went somewhere where you just felt out of place. You felt like a stranger. I asked you this morning, do you feel like a stranger in this country? Or do you feel like a stranger on this earth? The text this morning that I'm going to look at is from 1 Peter chapter 1. I realize that uh, Marcus read from Ephesians chapter 1, but it goes along with what, a little of what I'm going to be talking about today. And I, I struggle a little bit of knowing what to put for a title today. I'm, I'm looking at I intend to start here in 1 Peter and, Lord willing, to do a series on this, on this book, on this letter. And so I guess if you want to put a title to it, you could say Strangers That Are Elect. And I don't know how it is for you when reading God's word. I don't know if you ever stop and think about who has penned the words that you are reading. And yes, I realize that all of God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. God used men to write his word. They were inspired by his spirit to write what he wanted them to write. And yet I find it fascinating sometimes in reading some of these, the Gospels, uh, the book of Peter, 1 Peter, and to think of who Peter really was. Here was a man that lived and walked with Jesus. Here was a man, early in Jesus' ministry, was part of, he was one of the disciples. He was a man that saw all the things that Jesus did. He walked with him a lot for three years. So I find that comforting to think that we read the word, words that, were written by a man who walked with Jesus. I want to read verses 1 and 2. These are two verses I want to look at today and just want to give a lot of basically an introduction to the book and and a little bit of the setting and the background and also seeing what these first two verses are referring to. 1 Peter 1 Chapter, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethnia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. 
Now here we, we can see that this letter is identified as Peter being the writer. And it was his first inspired letter. And we know Peter fairly well. When you read various scriptures about Peter, it's obvious that he was a very outspoken man. He was the one that was always kind of bold and out front. And he seemed to be one of those men that when he got on board with something, he was all in. He gave it his all. And for him, there was really no beating around the bush when he went to express himself or when he saw how something should be done or could be done. He wanted to do the things that Jesus did. Think about when Jesus came walking out on the water. Peter says, I want to do this. And Jesus said, sure, come on out. And, and we know what happened. Jesus, or Peter did a little bit of walking on the water. Who wouldn't want to do that? Quite the experience to actually be walking on the water. But it was very short-lived for Peter. Peter was a man who performed many miracles like Jesus did while Jesus was on this earth and afterwards also. And we also know that he failed at times. He was a human being. Peter was clearly the leader among Christ's apostles or his disciples. And the gospel writers emphasize this fact by placing his name. If you you look at, read through the gospels, many times when the, the disciples are mentioned, Peter's name is at the top of the list almost every time. His name is first. And he is mentioned, there's more information about him in the four gospels. More is referred to him than any other disciple. Yes, there's a lot more about Jesus, but as far as any of the disciples, Peter, there's a lot said about Peter. He was originally known as Simon or Simeon. He was the son of Jonah, who was a a member. He was a, a family of fishermen. They were fishermen. They lived in Bethsaida and later in Capernaum. And we know that Andrew was a brother to Peter. And according to Mark 1, we can see there that Peter was married. And Peter was called to follow Christ early in his ministry. And we have the account of when Jesus re, kind of renamed, gave him another name. Jesus renamed him Peter or Cephas. And that means, both of those names mean stone or rock. John 1.42 says, And he, which was Andrew, this was Andrew bringing Peter to Jesus, and he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Jesus clearly had a plan for Peter and often singled him out for just special lessons throughout the Gospels. Uh, Peter definitely was the spokesman for the twelve. And he was kind of the one that articulated the thoughts and the questions that they had. He was sort of the instigator of those. Jesus, or Peter was the one who said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
He was the one that Jesus had asked to go with them along with James and John to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter was one of those that was with Jesus in the garden when Jesus was in that intense prayer time. Peter's the one that said, I will never leave you. I will never deny you. And yet we know that on that same night when Jesus was having his trial, he denied him three times. And he was the one who went out and wept bitterly. And sometimes when, I, when you look or read the scripture, you don't really think about how close these things, some of these things happen. But it was only a few days later, after Peter denied Jesus, when Jesus comes on the scene and he asks Peter those beautiful, sweet words, I think they were to Peter. And he simply asked, he said to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Peter responds, Lord, I love you. He asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And his response again was, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He was asked that three times. And I believe that Jesus did this three times to let him restore that threefold denial. And it wasn't long after, this would have only been a few days after he would have denied him in the first place. And then it was approximately 50 days later, Peter stands up full of the Holy Spirit and he preaches in front of those 3,000 people, plus probably, because there was 3,000 people that came to the Lord. Peter risked his life and he went into prison after James was beheaded and God delivered him that time. And Peter performed numerous miracles in the early days of the church. And he opened the door to the gospel to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles. This was the writer of this letter. There's much more that could be said about Peter. And this letter was probably written sometime just before or or after the city of Rome was burned in AD 64. And when this, just to giving a little bit of the setting or picture of, of the time and era this may have been in, when the city of Rome was burned, it was believed that the emperor, which was Nero at that time, had set the city on fire. And it was probably because Nero was one who, who had, he had a, just an intense lust to, to build. He wanted to build. And in order to build more, he had to destroy what was there so he could build more. And this was, to, this was a devastating to the Romans. Their culture, in a sense, went down with the city. They had... All their religious things were destroyed, their temples, their shrines, and even their household idols were burned up. And this had a major impact on the people, on the people because it made them believe that their gods or their deities could not withhold this from happening. 
many had been killed. There was a lot of people that were hopeless and in, and in despair. They were homeless. And so this, this caused a, a bitter resentment toward their emperor. And so Nero realized that he needs to redirect this. And history tells us that he directed that toward the Christians. He said the Christians did this. And the Christians were already hated by a lot of the Jews because they were seen as hostile to the Roman culture. And so Nero spread the word that the Christians were the ones that burned the city. And as a result, there was severe persecution broke out against the Christian people. And it spread throughout the Roman Empire. It spread into the regions even mentioned here in verse 1 here in First Peter. This was further north, and in, in actually is these, the location of this today is in, pre, is in present-day Turkey. But that's the persecution spread, and the people spread out also because of this. And it is thought that probably a lot of these people were Gentiles that Peter was writing to here, and possibly led to Christ by Paul and those who assisted him. But they needed, they needed some encouragement. They needed some spiritual input. Some, they, they were experiencing suffering and trials, uh, persecution. And the, the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this epistle to strengthen them. And this was probably 30-some years right after the resurrection of Jesus. And the Christians already were facing severe persecution. And so, of course, how should they respond? What was their reaction to that? How do we respond to suffering? If you, if you read through this letter, the encouragement he gives them to stay strong, and he urges them to put their hope in their future with Christ. And he even tells them that it's a time to rejoice in their suffering. He also confirms that Peter, or that, that Satan, is the enemy of every believer. It says here that Peter, an apostle, Peter was an apostle. What does it take to be an apostle? We don't, do we have apostles today? Sometimes people ask that question, is there apostles today? What makes an apostle? One who sees Jesus. One who sees Jesus. That's exactly right. The scripture makes it clear. I'm going to look at just three things that really says what the scripture says, the qualifications of an, of an apostle. And the primary definition of an apostle applies to a singular group of men who, who had a supreme rule in the early church. The disciples were Jesus' 12 closest, were the apostles, were, were Jesus' 12 closest disciples, chosen by him in his early ministry to spread the gospel after his death and resurrection. And the term apostle was, was used in the New Testament 
also to describe one who was commissioned or sent by the community or, or the church to preach the gospel. And then we have the story of Saul of Tarsus. We know him that he was a persecutor of the Christians. But when he was converted, he had that, on the road to Damascus, he had that vision. And from there on, he was called an apostle. Because, as was mentioned, he had seen Jesus. So the three qualifications to be an apostle, the first one, the person had to be an eyewitness to Jesus after his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 9.1, here Paul asks these questions to emphasize who he is. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? He was just simply saying that he did see Jesus. The second thing is, an apostle was chosen by the Holy Spirit. And you can turn to Acts 9.15 if you want there. And that brings out in that verse there. And this is directly after Saul's conversion when God asked Ananias to go to Saul to give him a message. And Ananias expressed his, his doubt and concern about going to Saul. And, and he definitely had reasons to think that. Because he knew who Saul was and the persecution that he did amongst the Christians and all that he was involved in. And yet God reassures Ananias there in Acts 9.15. And he says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So an apostle was chosen. The third thing, an apostle was to have one was one to have ministered with miraculous signs and wonders. Acts 2.43, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. I asked before, are there apostles today? Sometimes people ask that. And yet, according to the New Testament, the apostles do not exist today. They were only people who saw Jesus. They were people that were chosen, and they were ones that, who performed miracles. And so, really, there is no apostles today. So, who are we? The Bible does talk of us as saints and as pilgrims and as strangers, as kings and priests, but not as apostles. And you could say that a modern-day apostle would, would typically function as, as a missionary or someone that is commissioned to do church planting, one who is sent out by the church, the body of Christ, to spread the gospel and establish new communities of believers. Then I want to notice of who he addresses this letter to. And it says there in, in verse 1, To the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Who are these strangers? 
that were scattered abroad. Now, the word strangers here means temporary residents in a foreign country. Some translations use the word exiles. And so they were strangers. They were exiles. They were dispersed and living in a foreign country. And I found that there's various opinions as to who these people may have been. Some would say that they were Jewish people, mostly Jewish people. Others would say Gentiles. And yet I find it here, in, if you look at First Peter, if you continue to read through this book, there are a few verses here that refer to them being, to me it seems they were more likely that most of them were Gentile people. In First Peter 2, verse 10. And there he quotes from Hosea 2.23, and he says, Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. And Paul also mentions that in Romans chapter 9, that Gentiles were, not, were once not a people of God, and now through Christ they have become the people of God. They have become Jews in a sense. And they have become the real true Israel through the Messiah, who is the seed of Abraham. And they are the children of Abraham through Jesus. Then in chapter 4, verse 13, here in First Peter, it says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. There it's obvious these were people that had been living in all kinds of sin and darkness, but he talks about the Gentiles there in that verse. And it seems like Peter was writing this letter to Christians in general. So there may have been Jewish people also, but a large part of them may have been Gentiles. In Philippians 3.20, Paul says this, our citizenship is in heaven. And that's a common teaching in the New Testament. That Christians living here in this earth, we are to live here as strangers and pilgrims, and our citizenship is with God in heaven. And so he calls them strangers scattered throughout. That's why I asked before, and I think this is a concept that is this is a concept that is obvious throughout Scripture. As you think about being strangers and pilgrims in this earth, we are to live here as strangers, as sojourners. We are only here temporary and passing through. We are exiles, and that that idea goes. You go all the way back to Abraham. And think about what God asked Abraham to do there in Genesis chapter 12. And turn with me there. We'll look at a few of those verses. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. 
And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. It goes on to say, So Abraham departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him. And so Abraham, God called him out of a familiar place, a place that he was probably comfortable with. And yet God called him out of that. And notice what Hebrews 11 says about Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. What it says about Abraham here. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is the testimony of Abraham. God took him to a strange country. He was a sojourner. It was only temporary. He dwelt in tents. He didn't make himself at home wherever he was. He was a stranger. And notice what it says about him. He looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I think that's key for us today. He looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. He set his affection on things above and not on this earth. And I think it's our tendency to get fairly comfortable where we're at and to put our roots down and this is where we're at. And I don't have much to say on that, really. I live, I've lived in Lancaster County all my life. Um, I think I feel pretty comfortable here. But the idea of strangers and pilgrims, we're sojourners, we're here, it's temporary. We're only residents for a short time. So I think myself, I have a lot to learn to see how Abraham lived. And even all throughout the Old Testament, how the people, were they were dispersed again and again and again. God's people. The question is, am I being a vessel? Are we being vessels for God and allowing him to use us in spreading the gospel? And in our text here, Peter is writing to the people that he calls strangers that have been dispersed. And then he identifies them as people who are elect. And this word elect means to be chosen by God. There is mentioned in verse 2. And then he qualifies the word chosen or elect with three phrases there in verse 2. And this is probably another whole topic here of being elect or being chosen. So who is elect or who is chosen? Elect means being chosen of God. But it says here in this verse, it makes it very clear who the elect are. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, three things here he says. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, 
by the sanctifying work of the Spirit and obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of the blood. Now, did you notice anything about God in these, free, in these three phrases? You have God the Father, you have God the Spirit, and God the Son. Elect by the work of the Trinity. Chosen by the work of the Trinity. So who are the elect? I think this passage makes it clear who the elect are. You are elect or chosen by God the Father through the work of the Spirit unto the obedience of the Son. That's the elect. And I realize there's other passages. Marcus read there from Ephesians 1. And election is often a doctrine that gets many people maybe upset or can be controversial because it can feel like a mystery to us. Because we are not elect, we are not elect because of our good works or because we were born into the right family. We still have a choice to make. And while we have a tremendous blessing, it can seem like an advantage because of the heritage that we have been given. But that still does not make us the elect. It is through the Father and Him sanctifying us and our faithful obedience to Him. I don't know how you sometimes feel about this. And if if you're involved with people, and as I think of clubs and some of you involved in that, sometimes it does not seem fair for where those people were born. How do they have a chance? And that's only here in our area. There's many people who don't seem to have a chance to be the elect. I don't have an answer for you. But it is clear who the elect are. And so the tremendous blessing that we have with our heritage, we are responsible with what we do with that and sharing that with others. And throughout the ages, throughout the church age, when that was not happening, happening, I say when that was not happening, when persecution took place, it always spread more. And so do I really know what it's like to be a stranger and a sojourner when I've lived here all my life? There in Ephesians chapter 1 where Marcus read, it says that we have been chosen in him before the foundations of the world. And the next verse says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God knew before the earth was created, he knew exactly where you're going to be today. You were predestinated to be sitting here today. So does that mean you don't have a choice to be here? God is all-knowing and he is sovereign. 
And it is by God's sovereign grace that you are sitting here today. Sometimes the question is asked, so if I'm predestinated, and if God knew where I'm going to, to end up, does that mean that I don't have an option of whether I'm saved or not, or what happens in my life? Kind of a hard question, isn't it? Does that mean you don't have an option? Because God knew you're going to be sitting here today. But don't forget, God is sovereign. He knows the choice that you were going to make, too. And so I asked the question, did, did Adam and Eve have a choice to make in the garden? God told them they are not to take part or not to eat of that one certain tree. And when the serpent came and tempted them, they needed to make a choice. And we know the outcome. We know the story. We know what they did. They made the wrong choice. And we have adopted that nature That nature to choose. We have a choice to make. Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's for whosoever will. One of the things that should comfort us as believers in this world even in the midst of suffering, is recognizing that we are elect by God. It is a gift. And I don't have all the answers of why we have it so much better than many people in the world. But we are responsible to use what we have to bring others into the fold, to share and spread the gospel. So what are the privileges of God's elect? What makes a believer so special? Just want to recap of some of the things here in these, in verse 2. The elect are chosen by God. And the elect are strangers in the world. Their home is in heaven. And because of that, they are different. And the elect are scattered by God throughout the world to be a blessing to it. As I said before, we have a responsibility to share with others what we have been given. So let's not get too comfortable here. We are only sojourners and strangers, and we have a responsibility. The elect are sanctified by the Holy Spirit to be holy and righteous in this world. Sanctified. The elect are sanctified. The elect are set apart to be obedient. So there is a condition to be met also. There is obedience in following God in the scripture. The elect are sprinkled with Christ's blood. So this means forgiveness of sin. And to be purified from sin, to be free, to be victorious. When we are sprinkled with the blood, when we are of the elect... We can be free from sin. Then the last part of verse 2 says here, Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Comforting words. When God does something, he multiplies it. It's there abundantly. 
It's more than enough. The elect are recipients of God's abundant grace and peace. So that's what I want to leave with you. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. You are chosen. And you will have a responsibility also. Kneel with me for a word of prayer.